Hi, welcome to Planet Crime. This is our second second, mm. second episode. Don't know if we'll drop them in this order, but we well we don't know yet. Do we? we probably will. Probably will. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, this is our second uh, time sat down in my kitchen after about three hours of chatting shit. Yeah, <laughs> sorting stuff out. Yeah, electric and tech cars. Problems. Yeah. yeah. There's always a tech problem. Yeah. Every, every week we've recorded yes. so far, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's been eight headphones or microphone or yeah. something. It's just it's so irritating. Yeah, <laughs> it's irritating. But it's um, a really beautiful day here, so I think we've been cold. Freezing. Yeah, but um, I've been really looking forward to uh, finding out what story you're going to tell me this week. Do you know what? I just wanted to like put this in here, like, and I can't remember if I said this last week. So, you know, maybe this will get a show. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, murder isn't entertainment. Mm-hmm. But I just want to make that really, really, really clear. This is not entertainment. This is, yes, we do have an intrigue, and maybe there's morbid curiosity yeah. or, or something. I don't know how to describe it, really. But... We're, we're doing this to enlighten people's situations and to tell you that this does happen in the world. And to tell you their story, like yeah. the victim story. You know, I think we've stopped giving like serial killers and things like that, all those names to make them famous now. Yeah. And I just think, yeah, it does. It brings light to what, what is going mm-hmm. on in the world. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to... Look, we're glorifying serial killers every day. Yeah, the, and the media does yeah. that. And I think what podcasts have been like really good at is not doing that. Mm-hmm. Because it's... It's a platform for people to talk on that, you know, you can go searching for any topic and yeah. there's a podcast about it. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I think, like, we're getting more into not glamorising that. Yeah, and glorifying them, like, the yeah. whole Ted Bundy um, movie that was put out with Zac Efron. Everyone was saying, oh, you know, he looks so fit. And I was just like, that's not what he's supposed to do. In High School Musical, whatever, fair enough, like, yeah. whatever. But this is a guy that created so many victims and left so many families without children and parents yep. because of a sick obsession. Like that there's nothing nothing sexy about it. No, no, absolutely I completely agree with you. Did you watch the film? I did. I didn't? No. I, I a lot of people I know didn't. And, it, and I'm not like making a protest or anything. I just it's done. Yeah. And what you did was horrific. I don't need to see a film. Like no disrespect to no. you obviously, you know you but I just didn't feel like I needed to watch it. No, fair enough. Uh, but I felt and exactly like you, I just felt like with Zac Efron playing that part, it was glorifying. Yeah. And bringing it all to light again. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, I just, like, wanted to put that... Yeah, no, that. that's really important. Yeah. Really important. But that doesn't mean to say that I'm not looking forward to uh, hearing you tell me, you know, someone's story. Yeah. Yeah, because it's their story. It isn't, it isn't the perpetrators. And although we talk about perpetrators a lot in crimes and yeah. stories and news and stuff... Surely, aren't we learning from them? Like, the, yeah. we, that's what it's what they're for. Yeah, that's all they're all good we, for. That's all we want from them is yeah. to learn from them, so that you know we can catch the next one quicker. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like the Mind Hunter program. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just think like it, the only way we're going to learn how people's minds work are to follow them and to interview them and to talk to them because the majority of serial killers haven't actually had as bad of a background as some people. Exactly. We don't all go on to murder. No, that's right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's always that why. Like, why, yeah. why did you do that? What, what and led, comparing. What led from, you know, being a young child like my child that runs around now mm-hmm. to, like, you know, because Ted Bundy was five. Yeah. At some point. Of course, they were all five. Up, you know? Yeah. So, what, 
what happened and can we make a difference? Yeah. You know, they talk about early childhood a lot, you know, being a massive part of it. Mm-hmm. They uh, do, a lot of the time. But yeah, I'm not really into the whole glorifying serial no. killers, but I do want to know the victim stories. For and, sure. And I think as well, it's just because you're like, I cannot believe that somebody would think to do that. No, somebody of my species as well. Yeah. It isn't nature, it isn't like lions no. hunting in the wild. It's um, malicious, it's yeah. it's evil. Yeah. yeah, and you know, then it goes back to that question, is that you're born evil, are you made evil? Yeah. What is it? The whole nature versus nurture argument. I'm not even, student. I'm not even joking. <laughs> oh my god, did you just spill your coffee all over I got to be excited. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, I'm a disaster today. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. I was so paranoid when um, Freddie was little. And I used to make a joke of it, but, like, because they talk about early childhood having such a, you know, massive mm-hmm. impact on... I was like, oh, my God. You want to do anything that will turn him into a serial killer? <laughs> oh I just remember Ryan being like, oh, my God. But, That's you. Know, you. That's yeah. so you. Yeah, just... But, like, it's like a mum thing. Like, you have these irrational mm-hmm. sort of thoughts sometimes. Oh, my God, what if I mess... Yeah. them up and they turn out to be you know Ed Kemper um, yeah exactly no thank you yeah right it'd be about the same height it probably yeah so yeah I just like fond memories oh yeah. fond memories anyway <laughs> we've chatted for like eight minutes now about shit wow great yeah cool. so um shall we get on with yeah your story okay so I'm gonna talk about Jessica Lunsford okay this case is horrific and I actually cried when I researched this and I actually read it like the most horrific stuff to my partner because I wanted her to see why I've been crying and she was like you cannot read me any more of this this is horrific it is very emotional and you know there is a young 10 year old girl involved almost 10 year old girl okay. and for anyone that's got children around that age like I really personally wouldn't recommend listening to it okay. because it, it really is heartbreaking so what you're saying is is that look I'm about to tell you a story which involves a child mm-hmm. and if you want to turn off now we'll see you next time yeah for sure until next crime yeah until next crime yeah. exactly but we totally get it because but their story still needs to be told, of course. I, I think. Um, Definitely. And obviously it is up to you what you listen to. So, yeah. Yeah, great. We won't be that. heartbroken if you turn off now, because it is heavy. It's a heavy case. Okay. Okay. So, Jessica Marie Lunsford was a nine-year-old little girl. She was so happy. She was smiley. She loved her family. She went to church. She was very um, a home girl. So, she was born on the 6th of October, 1995, to Mark Lunsford and Angela Bryant. And they lived in Gastonia, North Carolina. So when Jessica was just one year old, Mark and Angela's marriage broke down. So they obviously divorced. A judge granted Mark full custody and he moved to Homosasa, Homosasa? Florida to live with his parents, Ruth and Archie Lonsford, in their double-wide trailer. So Mark was a truck driver uh, and he thought that Homosasa would be a great place to raise a child as it was like a really slow pace it was a nice little town okay a bit like here really yeah just chilled slow nice yeah jessica's mother angie moved to ohio where she would eventually remarry and have another son like i said before jessica was such daddy's girl she loved her family and they often argued about who loved each other most jessica hadn't actually seen her mum for four years before 2005 I don't know why. Do you, yeah, I was going to say, do we know why? Is that, no. You know? I did search and I didn't want to put in any sources that I thought would be unreliable. Of course, yeah. So I just thought, 
I'll just completely. Yeah. Um, I I don't think there was anything majorly wrong. I just think maybe they decided that it was for what was best. Okay. So Jessica and her father were absolutely inseparable. They would ride his motorcycle together, sung karaoke all the time, usually Pink and Shania Twain, um, and they both attended church. Jessica was described to be a quiet girl with a massive smile. She was a good student, top of her class, and loved to sing and play with her toys. When she asked what she wanted to be when she was older, she always said that she dreamed of being a fashion designer, or a singer, or an Olympic swimmer. Every night, Jessica slept with a teddy tiger and a nightlight. She was absolutely scared of the dark, and hated people coming into her room without permission. She didn't really trust people. But then I suppose at that young, if your mum had left, you would have a little... I mean providing she did leave and it wasn't an amicable divorce she quite obviously wouldn't have as much trust in people okay sidebar okay i just want to put this out there isn't it interesting how we question when a woman leaves yeah but we're so used to men i would not have asked you no if you said you know mum got full custody and off we went i probably wouldn't have asked you no guilty of it as well Uh uh-huh but i'm sat here going how can you not speak to your daughter for four years? I know. Like, as a mum. Yeah, of course. I'm going to say that loud, so I know. But, <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to know why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? it's so interesting. And it's, it's just funny, like, as a society, how we, like, go, oh, my God, how can a mother leave a child? Whereas, yeah. you know, dad's up, leave, gone, see Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just really bizarre. Anyway, there she So, their lives changed shortly after a convicted paedophile called John Cooey moved into their neighbourhood just 65 feet away from their trailer. So I'm going to go back a little bit now to the night of what happened. So at 5.45 on the 24th of November 2005, Mark Lunsford had just arrived home from spending the night at his girlfriend's house, but obviously he was a truck driver, so he'd come home early to get ready for work that day. He knocked on his nine-year-old daughter's bedroom as her alarm was going off, but there was no answer. Obviously she didn't like people going into her room, so he just sort of peered his head around the corner, but he noticed that she wasn't there, so he searched around the trailer to see if she was already awake and maybe just forgotten to turn her alarm off, eating breakfast, whatever. However, she was nowhere to be found. Mark then woke up his parents and asked them if they'd seen Jessica that morning. Both Ruth and Archie told Mark to look in her bedroom again, as maybe she'd fallen asleep on the floor next to her bed, but she wasn't there. Nothing appeared to be missing from Jessica's bedroom other than her pink nightgown and white shorts that she went to sleep in the night before and her favourite toy, which was a stuffed dolphin. In Obviously, in England, we call them teddies, but mm. her clothes were neatly laid out, ready for school the next day. Jessica was last seen the previous night at approximately 10pm when her grandparents put her to bed. As Mark frantically searched the home again, he noticed that the front door and the screen door were unlocked. So do you know what I mean by the screen door? Yeah. So yeah, in America, yeah. they have like the, just the one single piece of glass. Yeah. I, d- I don't know why. I know sometimes they have nets for mosquitoes, so mosquitoes yeah. don't get in the house, but... Yeah, I don't really understand the two-door thing. I, no. don't, I don't get it. No. Like, like you say, when it's like a... I don't know. I get it if it's a porch. We've got a porch which has got a door leading into another door. Yeah. And it's a little area. It's an put, actual door, not yeah. like those flimsy... Weird, it's, I just find it, I find it strange. I get, like you say, I get the mosquito thing, mm-hmm. the net thing, but I don't understand. No. Yeah, you just pull the door. <laughs> Mark immediately instructed his mother, Ruth, to phone 911. During an interview later with CNN, which is Cable News Network, okay. Mark Lunsford said, we always kept those doors locked. Always. So, the doors to the trailer? Like, yeah, the, yeah, the screen door and the front door. Yeah. He said that they always kept them shut okay. and locked. Mm-hmm. So that was a bit suspicious. So, when the police arrived, the Citrus County Sheriff's Office, along with helicopters, canine units and several agencies, 
searched their home and surrounding areas hoping to find Jessica, hoping that she just wandered off or... But, I mean, a nine-year-old little girl? Bit unlikely, but mm. in case she'd gone to her neighbours or, you know, gone to the shop or whatever, yeah. for whatever reason. I suppose in that situation, you don't know what you'd do, do you? No. Nine-year-old missing, though. I know. I couldn't imagine it. I could not imagine it. Do I ever tell you? A little bit of a side note. My mum thought I went missing once. We were in Butlins playing. Uh, yeah. We went to a disco, and I gave my mum my little panda pop, yeah. as you do. Yeah. And I asked her to open it. She turned around, opened it, gave it back to me, I was gone. Yeah. Like, gone. Yeah. She didn't know where the hell I was. Yeah, so I was gone. And my brother's obviously seven years older than me. He must have been about 10 or 11. Yeah. And obviously my mum was like panicked they searched everywhere she went up to the security guard and said have you seen anybody walk out with a little girl and they were like no my mum was like well how would you have known that and it's right how would you have known that yeah how would you know if a mum and a dad walked out with a little girl exactly and that was their little girl you wouldn't know that so anyway they hadn't seen me and i was behind the dj deck eating crisp like a little fat shit (laughs) (laughs) i was about three oh mate it was hilarious obviously I don't remember it but my mum said that she was we only spoke about this a couple of days ago she said she was that panicked that she couldn't stay there she just had to pick everything up and leave go back to the hotel room really? yeah she just couldn't stay yeah just it, yeah it, 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 yeah made her feel frightened yeah. well yeah okay so okay, I have another story about okay. that <laughs> um, in our city in Truro where the cathedral is mm-hmm. used to be there used to be in Marks and Spencer's Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's where Marks and Spencer's was. And it had, like, three entrances. Yeah. yeah. And uh, back in the day, you know how, like, in uh, Marks and Spencer's, they have, like, lots of rails of the same clothes? Yeah. They used to be on round rails as well. Oh. Old-fashioned. Yeah. So, uh, my mum was the... Pardon? (laughs) Just said to me. (laughs) I said (laughs) old-fashioned. I love how that took you know, five minutes to realise. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's hilarious. Honestly, sometimes it takes about three days for things to register. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm there, and then she, she turns around and I'm not there. God. They shut the whole of Marks and Spencer's down. <laughs> oh my god. I always <laughs> knew you were a drama queen, but yeah. my gosh. Shut the whole of Marks, Marks and Spencer's down. Um, you know, they had security out. They're about. It was, yeah, and you can imagine how. Yeah, for sure. Oh, just horrendous. Yeah, I was just hiding in the clothes rail. I love that. Probably That's... like evilly watching. Yeah, I can imagine. Up, like in front of me, yeah. my poor mum. <laughs> Sorry, mum. Yeah. Oops. Probably should have kept all your attention on me, but like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I'm the centre of your world. Yeah. The thing <laughs> is, is that it is true. Like now I'm a parent, you, you get it. Like you do have to have eyes in the back of your head. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Anyway. A nationwide missing children's alert was issued, which described Jessica as 4 foot 11 inches tall, with brown hair and brown eyes. Unfortunately, I just find this really weird, an Amber Alert could not be issued as it has required law enforcement to provide some evidence of danger, such as a vehicle used in abduction or any sightings of her or somebody unknown. She's fucking nine years old. Like, she's nine years old. So they've changed that now, haven't they? Yeah. They've changed it now. She isn't just going to wander out of her fucking house. Mm-hmm. Like, so they wouldn't put an amber alert out because... There was no sightings of her with anyone or no vehicles seen or... Yeah. Which I get, I understand. Information, but you need to put it out there. You need to fucking get that out there. Get it out there. Like, she's a nine-year-old child. If it's yeah. a 50-year-old man, I get it. He could have just gone and yeah. not come home for the day. I get that. But a nine-year-old little girl. Yeah, just get that out there. <sighs> you know, even if you have to do it bit by bit, yeah. you know... 
always update it. Mm-hmm. Protocol sometimes just, yeah. Okay. It's just stupid. Yeah. She's just going to wander out and watch the sun come up or look at the stars, is she? Like... Yeah. And especially in a trailer, because trailers are quite small. I don't have a trailer, but I presume they're like mobile homes. Yeah. Like, they're not huge. A bit like static. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe a little bit bigger, because they do everything bigger. Yeah, Yeah. of course. Yeah. Hi, American people. Sorry. No. But, yeah, I know what you mean, but didn't they live in a twin? Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. But, you know... Are they are trailer parks there? Yeah. Like trailer parks. There's uh-huh. a few of them. So it's almost like a community. Yeah, pretty much. And like no one had seen her. Nope. You know, that's just weird. That's more suspicious than if somebody had seen her to me. Yeah. I mean, what both are bad. Thing? About 5.45 in the morning, he went into her bedroom. So God knows what time she was actually gone. She was last seen at 10pm that night, the night before. Yeah. yeah. So any time between that time and 5 in the morning. Just got to get that information out Yeah. There. Get it out to the media. Get a search. Like I know they started searching, but let people know. Mm. So almost immediately after Jessica was reported missing, authorities and volunteers sourced the area and searched for her. Bloodhounds were called in in hopes that they could maybe pick up something to lead the way. Even Jessica's neighbour, who was called Alvin, brought his own bloodhound to the search, which was quite nice. I thought, like mm. any help that you can yeah, get. Definitely, yeah. A dive team was also assembled to search nearby water to start with the search initially focused on the dense wooded area surrounding her family home which would make sense if she had gone out yeah of course yeah then you know yeah fair enough just want to put a little side note the police weren't great in this case just give you a little warning you'll know more about it later they were great in the search um, that's well known like that i mean it's my opinion too yeah yeah i won't go too far into it because we'll talk about it later so despite the extensive search, no evidence or clues could come as where she had gone, which is, you know, people, like we said before, we always talk about this, people don't just vanish. People don't just vanish into thin air. They're somewhere. Yeah. They've got to be somewhere. Nothing's ever lost. No. It is somewhere. So Jessica's family automatically assumed that something sinister had happened, as she wasn't just the kind of girl to up and leave on her own, especially not in the middle of the night. Mm. Like I said, she was scared of the dark, so there's some strong proof that she didn't just get up and leave in the middle of the night in the dark. So Mark said, if there is anything that anybody knows, there is a lot of numbers that you can call. Please just help me find my daughter and bring her home. So the first lead came in on the 27th of February. Bearing in mind, this was the 24th of February. So three days. Okay. When investigators released a CCTV photo of a man with two children. This photo was captured just hours after Jessica had assumed to have vanished. Obviously, they didn't know at the time what time she had gone. So her family said that the girl that was with the man did not look like her. Like, it, they were pretty certain that it wasn't her. But the police re- released the photo anyway. Because, of course, they have to be sure. Yeah. You know, if it was a different angle or they were so... They wanted so bad for it to be her, they could yeah. have said, oh, yeah, that's definitely her. You know, grief and things like that will get in the way. So the man soon came forward and was ruled out as a suspect. So the investigators were now back at square one. And by now, in Hermosa, there was rain and fog coming in, like, no end. So the search was obviously hindered quite a lot. Yeah, definitely. So by the beginning of March, the full-scale search for her had ended. Police turned to child abduction experts for help. So they focused on a quarter of a mile radius around her home as a starting point. Okay. In the days following Jessica Lunsford's disappearance, 
detectives performed a routine scan on all known sex offenders and predators in the Citrus County area. There was more than 50 in the zip code surrounding her home. How many? How long did it take them to do that? In the following days after her disappearance, so maybe three to four days. Okay. So, yeah, there was 50 in her area. It just baffles me. It does. I get they need, they've got human rights and they need a home, but I just don't understand. Is there an app or something that you can get where you can, like, you know, find out who in your area is? Yeah, I don't know about an app, but I know that you have to contact the police to find out. Okay. If you're in, like, if I move to an area in Wales and I have children I, and I want to know who lives nearby, I can find out if there's any registered sex offenders in the area. Mm-hmm. But you have to go through a lot of phone calls and a lot of letters to find that out. So, obviously, mixed reviews on that, whether you should have more access or not not as much. I don't know. Yeah, who's being protected here? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Could talk about that probably for hours. Yeah, yeah, me too. Okay, so, like I said, there was more than 50 in the area surrounding her home, in about a quarter of a mile radius. A convicted sex offender is required by law to notify the authorities if they intend to change their address, which I think is fair. I think yeah, they should. Totally. Yeah. On the 15th of March, they disclosed that these routine checks led them to a person of interest who was acquainted with Jessica's family, social group, church. So, obviously. So, Citrus County Sheriff Jeff Dorsey said that the man has ties to the local area and that he was a registered sex offender. The person of interest had been gone from Citrus County for about two weeks and that if he did not return for an interview within 48 hours, his identity would be publicly released. I think that's really good of the police. Yeah. Because... Sex offenders wouldn't want everybody to know that they were a sex offender. Yeah. Surely, I wouldn't have thought. No, I don't no. know. I don't oh. know any, so. No. And thank God. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that was good of the police to say, either you come to me now or we're throwing the shade at you sort of thing. Yeah. When this person of interest didn't come forward and couldn't be located, the police released his name to the public. 46-year-old John Evander Cooey. He lived two miles north of Jessica's home and often stayed with his half-sister who lived within eyeshot of Jessica. And when I say with an eye shot, I mean like... On the trailer park? Yeah. Like in the community? Mm-hmm. His sister did? Yeah. Okay. When Mark Lunsford learned of the person of interest's name, he said, and I quote, I know my daughter wouldn't go with strangers, so I just don't see how he could be, you know, the perpetrator in this. However, Cooey was a career criminal that had been arrested 24 times in a 30-year period. Once a month? Yeah. Is it? Once a year. Once a year. <laughs> <laughs> I get you. His crimes ranged from burglary, carrying a concealed weapon, drunk and disorderly, driving under the influence, indecent exposure, disorderly conduct, fraud, insufficient funds, and larceny. Sounds fucking delinquent. Yeah, to start with. He had spent time in prison and he had his driver's license suspended for 99 years. But as his drug addiction to crack cocaine became more extreme, his crimes escalated into assaulting, sexually assaulting two young girls. Drugs don't just turn people into paedophiles. They don't. Is he going to be using it for an excuse? Yeah. Like I said, smoking a bit of whatever, smoking anything, in my opinion, doesn't turn into beautiful. far. You're either raised like it or born like it. Well, yeah, you know, just drink, don't you? No. It's not a specific sort of, like, chemical compound that makes you this person. No. Drugs have affected his erratic behaviour and maybe his, you know, thought processes of no that's not the right thing to do yeah he's gone to you know yeah i feel like he's about to go too far he's about to go embracing myself way too far okay you seriously need to so when the home was searched which was 
which was John Cooey, his sister. There was three of them in the house at the time, so they were described by police to be cracked out individuals. Mm. During the search of the premises, detectives made a horrifying and fatal mistake by not investigating the closet in the room where he'd be staying. So on March the 12th... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back the fuck up. Okay. Say that again? Search of the premises, detectives made a horrifying mistake by not investigating the closet in the room where he'd been staying. Okay. On March the 12th, Cooey was arrested in Augusta, Georgia, at the request of the Citrus County Sheriff's Office, which, obviously, because he'd never come forward, yeah. they had to bring him in. Yeah. So he was questioned about Jessica Lunsford's disappearance due to his residence on the same 65 yards, precisely, from Jessica's home. Okay, I'm really bad at the whole, like, yards. Like, this is... How far away is that from where I'm sitting now? Probably to... Out to the field. Or a little bit further, maybe. Okay, yeah, so close. Yeah, so pretty close. Thank you. That's all right. And his criminal record, Cooey stated did not have anything to do with the girl's disappearance as he had moved to Georgia only to find a job. But he only knew about Jessica's disappearance from the television, so he said. So after being interviewed, he was released from police custody. On March the 14th, I'm going back now to when the home was searched. Okay. So... The, the, the sister's trailer? Yeah, his half-sister's trailer. Yeah. On March 14th, Koo's half-sister, Dorothy Dixon, gave permission for police to search her trailer. During the search, a blood-stained mattress and pillows were found. Forensic analysis discovered that Cooey and Jessica Lunsford's DNA was on the mattress. There was also semen found on the mattress. So I'm kind of going a little bit in and out in this case. So it's a sort of go forward, go backwards, go forwards, go backwards, because I didn't feel like the chronological order would make sense. Okay. So I, I wanted to try and make it easier for listeners by going in and out, so I'm just going to dive in. So that was March 14th. So on March the 19th... The Lunsford family's greatest fears were confirmed. Koo was arrested and confessed to abducting and murdering Jessica. Oh, no. So we go... it? Yeah. Okay. After taking a lie detector test, Koo said, you don't need to tell me the results, I already know what they are. Could I have the investigators come back in? When the investigators re-entered the room, he apologised for wasting their time and directed them to where they could find Jessica's body. Investigators rushed to the scene of where they could find Jessica's body, cordoning off an area surrounding the home of Cooey's half-sister. At some point between 3.30 and 4.30am, the body of Jessica was unearthed from a shallow grave. All this time, she'd been less than 200 yards from her own home. Jessica's father, Mark, visited the scene shortly after sunrise. And I quote, he said, Everyone heard me say time after time that she would be home, and now she's home. Uh, it's horrendous. So I'm going to go back now to tell you the details. Um, this is probably the point that people might want to turn off because this is absolutely heartbreaking. So, the day before her disappearance, everything seemed normal. She went to school, attended Bible class with... I don't know about you, but we have a lot of family friends. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of family friends that I call auntie, even though they're not my auntie. Yeah, yeah, we do that in our family too. Good, okay, so... Yeah. It was her grandparents' friend, Sharon that took her to the Bible class that day. And when Sharon dropped her off at around 9pm, just as she was about to enter her home, Sharon said that she turned around and said, I love you in sign language, as Sharon was trying to teach her how to talk in sign language. So when she went in, she spent time with her family. Her dad left to spend the night at his girlfriend's, and Jessica took a shower and went to bed. Ruth put her into bed, just as she did every night, and then that was the last time anyone would see her alive. 
that night. Little did anyone know, John Kerry had been watching Jessica. He told officials that he'd watched her playing outside several times. So, for unknown... I know, right? Absolute piece of shit. Right, but... So, for unknown reasons, Kerry chose the night of February 24th to break into the Lunsford home through an unlocked front door around 3am when everyone was asleep. However, I find that strange because Mark said that they always lock the doors. But he wasn't there that night. No. He'd gone to his girlfriend's. Yeah. Maybe that awful thing of assumption happened where mm-hmm. everyone in that trailer th- assumed that the door would be locked. Yeah. And it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And no one checked it before they went to bed. It, it, was, it was just a really unlucky thing yeah. that happened. So during this time, Cooey suggests that he was in a drug haze induced by a combination of alcohol and marijuana. John said that his original plan was to burglarise the home. However, when tiptoeing through a dark hallway, just magically changed his mind. I know, right? That just doesn't happen. You don't, I mean, nobody should, but you don't just go into a house and go, I'm going to burglarise it. Actually, no, I'm just going to kidnap a child. And why would you admit to watching her? I know. For several weeks and then say, oh, but I wasn't going in there to kidnap her. I was going in there to burgle. I know. It just doesn't make sense. So Cooey stopped when he reached Jessica's bedroom. He went inside, woke her up and said, and I quote, don't yell or nothing. Almost very casual, like don't yell or nothing. Mm-hmm. Before gesturing her to follow him outside, Jessica did as she was told. That would be breaks my heart. Like, imagine, I couldn't imagine being woken up in the middle of the night by somebody that I don't know and just being like so incoherent that you just do as you're told. Like, that's just heartbreaking. Yeah. She left the house without any shoes on her feet as she clutched her purple dolphin that her father won at her at a state fair a few weeks before. Korea took Jessica back to his half-sister's mobile home, only 65 yards away from Jessica's home, where he sexually assaulted her over and over again. Kui held her captive over the weekend and instructed her to stay in his bedroom closet while she went to work at Billy's truck lot. So do you remember me saying that the police made a mistake by not checking the closet? Yeah. Well, if they did, they would have found Jessica alive. That, that day. No. In an interview with Cooey, he said, this actually fucking angers me. So, John Cooey said, for some reason they came to my house, but they didn't come in and search. But I wish, I, I wish they would have, because they would have found her, but they didn't. Like, are you just trying to brag or something? Because that's fucking disgusting. Like, for some reason they came to my house, but they didn't come in and search. But I wish they would have, because then they would have found her. Why don't you just don't do what you fucking plan to do? I just... I just don't get it. So, did the, poli- did the police go there to search? Yep. And they did not look... In a closet. Like, it's a trailer? It's a fucking trailer. Like, there's not, not many places to look, is no, there? No, no. Oh, my God. That is just poor <laughs> fucking shit from the police. It's just... That's bad. That's bad police work. Mm-hmm. And I have so much respect for sure for yeah. the police. I really, really do, and I don't want to be one to be bad mouthing. But that is that is really that's awful. a low blow, isn't it? It like, is. Really, it really is. Yeah, definitely. <sighs> it just fucking angers me. What a cocky little bastard. Yeah, like, yeah, and he's, it sounds like he's bragging about it. Why well. would you say that? You yeah. would have said, look, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have done it. I, I'm not even excusing his fucking behaviour. Yeah. So during the time that Jessica was in his home, he mentally tortured her by putting on the news reports on the television of her what? disappearance. So she would watch herself on TV while her parents searched for her. 65 yards away from her house? Yeah. From her, her own trailer. Oh my dear. 
Jessica was locked in his closet for three days where she was forced to urinate and live with little oxygen, food and water. However, when he learned that detectives were searching for him, it's, it got worse. Three days after he abducted her, Kui bound Jessica's wrist together with speaker wire and encouraged her to get into a plastic bag, saying that if she did, he would take her home, but he didn't want anyone to see her leave, so it was safer to put her in a bag. So Jessica put her feet into one bag and he covered her top half with another bin bag. So she was almost like wedged yeah, in, I know, I one on either side. Kui took Jessica to his backyard where he placed Jessica in a pre-dug two-foot hole and he buried her alive in a shallow grave. Oh, no, 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 no. Where she eventually suffocated to death. No, 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 no. Oh, my God. He were a late, he would, this, I can't even tell you. He would later attempt to justify his actions by saying that she didn't attempt to fight back. He, she was nine. When you see the face of this person, you will look at him and go, yes. You know you get those people mm-hmm. and it's just like, yes, like, oh. On March 19th, police unearthed Jessica's body from the backyard of West Snowbird Court, buried in a plastic bag, tightly clutching her stuffed dolphin. The hole she was buried in was approximately two and a half feet by two feet in diameter, which if you don't know, that's 0.8 of a metre by 0.6 of a metre, so I don't know if it's imperial or metric, whatever you prefer. Jessica managed to rip two small holes in the garbage bag and attempt to escape, but being two foot under the ground, it was an unfruitful attempt. So, during the trial, Rick Ridgway actually said, there in the dark, alone with a dolphin, she suffocated. Absolutely heartbreaking. Like, I think this possibly could be one of the worst cases I've looked into right now. Uh, yeah, I think I literally Jessica's body was removed and transported to the coroner's office where it was said that her body had undergone moderate to severe de- decomposition. According to the publicly released autopsy reports, the two fingers that she had poked out of the bag in an attempt to escape were skeletonized. The coroner noted that the cause of death was suffocation, which he believed to have took from three to five minutes. I just like, I don't know, if you sat there in silence for three to five minutes, it's a you long time. realize how long that is. Especially when you're already, scared. You're scared, mm-hmm. you're nine, and yeah. you've already been through hell. Like, her, what she must have gone through so is horrendous. The coroner also found vaginal lacerations, which indicated sexual assault. He estimated that the lacerations have occurred approximately six hours prior to death. The gastrointestinal tract was basically empty, meaning that the last time she ate was between 12 hours and three to four days before death. Mm. Traces of cocaine were found on her body, although she had not ingested any herself, but she had definitely been in an environment where crack cocaine had been smoked. Because the court was unable to see an impartial jury in the Citrus County, the trial was moved to Miami. It would be funny if that happened in this area. I don't think anybody would sit on that trial. I don't think they would be able to. Because yeah. I think, some, you know. Yeah. His trial began on February 12, 2006. Evidence included DNA from Jessica's blood, Cooey's semen on the mattress and Jessica's fingerprints that were found in the closet. The defence argued that Cooey's below average IQ rendered him mentally handicapped, which would disqualify him from the death penalty. However, the judge ruled that his IQ score were actually eight points higher than the standard score for mental retardation. Okay. Obviously. So, can I ask a question? Why has it gone to trial? If he pled guilty, why did it go to trial? Was it to fight the death penalty? Yeah. Okay. On March 2006, the jury deliberated for hours. John Key was found guilty of charges in relation to Jessica Marie Lunsford's death, including first-degree murder, kidnapping, burglary and sexual battery. 
The jury was tasked with recommending either life in prison without the possibility of parole or the death penalty, the only two possible sentences under the Florida's law at the time. A week later, after about an hour and 15 minutes of deliberation, the jury recommended Kiwi be put to death. That would have taken me two minutes. Not even that. I wouldn't have even had to think about it. The jury's vote, you won't believe this, the jury's vote was 10 to 2, so two people thought that he should be put to death. I get that people don't agree with the death penalty, mm-hmm. but that's just, that just baffles me. Okay. Just baffles me. What are you thinking? I can see thinking in your face. Yeah, I struggle with the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. But he hurt that child. Mm-hmm. In the worst possible in ways. In the worst possible mm-hmm. way. And, like, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I feel like the death penalty is actually harder for the family. Because just make them spend life in prison. Like, yeah, rot. Just rot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because every time that they appeal their death sentence, the family have to go through stuff all over again. Yeah. You know, I don't know, to me sometimes it also feels like a cop out. Yeah. You don't have to suffer for the rest of your life now because you'd be, they'd, they'd be dead. Eye for an eye and all that shit. I just, yeah, I'm not just... really in for a tit for tat kind of situation. No. I do have I do have issues with taking people's lives. Yeah, I get uh, that. But then, you know, I'm not Jessica's parents and I no. expect if I was, I'd want to kill her myself. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So, in accordance with the Florida state law, the death sentence was automatically appealed. Jessica's mother, Angela Bryant, told CNN that John Kiwi will pay after learning of his involvement with the daughter's murder. And her father said, she's home now. Mark looked into the camera, speaking directly to Kiwi and said, I hope you rot in hell and I hope you get the death penalty. On August 24th, 2007, Kiwi was sentenced to death, which he said he'd expected. Such a cocky little shit. Exactly. See what I mean, though. Like, is it okay with it? Yeah. It's, like, it's okay. Because I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna die. I'm not gonna have to live with what I've done. Yeah. In addition to three consecutive life sentences, however, on September 30th, 2009, at 11:15, before the sentences could be carried out, John died of anal cancer in Jacksonville Memorial Hospital. Did you know he had cancer? Not as far as I've read. Okay. So, he only served two years, just just under two years of his sentence. Following Jessica's death, Mark Lunsford pursued a new legislation to provide a more firmer tracking of released sex offenders. Good. The Jessica Lunsford Act was named after her and it requires, by the way, that's also sometimes called Jessica's Law. So oh, it's, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's either Jessica Lunsford Act in some states and Jessica's Law in others. So just in case there's a bit of confusion about that. Mm-hmm. It requires tighter restrictions on sex offenders like wearing tags and tracking devices and increased prison sentences of minimum of 25 years and a maximum of life in prison for first-time child sex offenders, which I think is fair because it would reduce the risk of reoffending. Yeah. So since Jessica's law was passed in Florida, other states have introduced their own version of Jessica's law. The Jessica Lunsford Act was approved on the 2nd of May 2005 and took effect on September 1st of the same year. So, I couldn't find much solid evidence on this, but I've read a few sources that mention that Jessica's dad filed a lawsuit for the incompetence of the police. Okay. He lost his child's life. Yeah. You know, and if the police had searched that day, she could still be alive today. Yeah, that is just, how you did that is just horrendous. Yeah. I wonder how those police, like, feel now. I wonder how... I think, I think, don't quote me, but I think some of them have resigned. Do you know what? If I made that fatal mistake, I don't think I could continue with my job. No, no, I don't know if I could either. So that's the end of my Jessica Lunsford case. It was absolutely horrific. Well, that was a heavy one, eh? Yeah. 
Wow, like, what a monster. And it's scary to, like, think that these people, like, live among us. I know. You know, no one in there... You know, do you think that a lot of these things come down to mental health? Or are some people just horrid and evil and... I think there's a very big debate, isn't there, about whether you're born like it or whether you're made like it with childhood. But there's nothing in there, in any research I found, that suggests that John Cooey had a bad life as a child. Nothing that I've read. And he'd not anything like that before, because, like, for a first crop, I know, like, he had a big rap sheet. Well, he had sexually assaulted two children beforehand. Because he was on the paedophile. He was on the paedophile register, a sexual offender register. So his crime went for from burglary and larceny and things like that to then so he was drugs all the time like he's increasing and like who's watching him who's doing something about I that know. his crime is increasing every single time he's getting ready for the and he did it he yeah. executed it and that poor little girl lost her life and it's just it's horrid yeah what a horrible story i'm glad i know more now mm-hmm. i feel a bit more informed about the like the jessica's law yeah that's so important i think because imagine having paedophiles that nobody knows where they are and that's pretty much what happened here because he had killed jessica and then moved to georgia do you know this there's also this other thing like i was thinking when you were talking about how like she just got up and did as she was told mm-hmm. like we have this thing about being like polite yeah to, to grown-ups and don't get me wrong you know yes be polite but I don't think we should t- like teach our children to not question. No. Who are you? She was just, you know, doing as she was told because that's how I expect she was brought up. Mm-hmm. You know, you respect your elders, you, you know, yeah. do as you're told. And the fact that, you know, she got into that bag. Mm-hmm. There's this sort of, like, you know, thing that you can't say no. Yeah. And you absolutely can. You absolutely can. For 100%. But then she was probably terrified. Yeah. Terrified. She didn't like people coming into her room anyway. No. You know, let alone... A stranger. Yeah. She didn't have much trust in anybody, so. Oh, what a sad case. That's absolutely heartbreaking. That was hard. That was mm-hmm. hard going as well. Wasn't yeah, it? I think I might have had a tear yeah. while recording that. I can see. I can see that. It's also like great for, um, or you know, that Jessica's dad did had something that he could put some like some of that yeah that anger that grief that horrible loss that into mm-hmm. where it made it like a, you know made a difference. Yeah. He's made a difference. He said, I don't quote because I haven't got any complete quotations, but I remember reading that he said that if I can save one other child, yes. then that's one less family that has to go through what we've been through. Yes, yeah. And I like that because some people, I mean, grief takes everybody differently. Mm. They, it does. But some people will grieve on their own, push everybody away, but he is helping people, mm. you know, and there's no wrong or right way to grieve. No, there isn't, and I'd like to say, I think that's good that he's put his yeah. energy into that, because mm-hmm. I, I expect you feel like you need to do something. Yeah. What can I do about this? Because you must be helpless, and there's nothing that you can do to no. make the situation any different. So, and it's great that they've got Jessica as well, and I think they tightened up the, the or just, you know, relaxed the amber alert thing yeah where now they just put it out don't they yeah they yeah if they're under a certain age they don't have to have like that they were with someone that they're in this car yeah no not anymore because like these like protocols you know again could could that bungle step mm-hmm. have made a difference yeah the fact that she was in that closet i just don't even know i think that one's going to stay with me for a very very long time yeah it's definitely a really really heartbreaking case Thank you for 
No, thanks. Telling it so sensitively. Mm -hmm. You did a great job. Okay, so, you ready? I'm ready. So, this week I am going to tell you about the kidnapping and murder of Samantha Cohen. Can I just stop you? Your dog is just currently trying to jump all over me, just in case you hear some background noise. Okay, I've heard a little bit about it. I've watched maybe a video or listened to a podcast. Yeah. But it was a very long time ago. Okay. So I'm excited to, for you to tell me. Uh, this is um, not really any lighter than what we've... It is pretty heavy, mm-hmm. um, but no children. Okay. So... February 1st, 2012, it's about 8 o'clock, and Samantha Cohen is getting ready to close the coffee cart she works at when she looks up to discover one last customer. CCTV of that night shows Samantha handing a male a cup of coffee and then backing away with her hands up as if it was a robbery. Mm-hmm. The lights go out and the intruder next appears as a fuzzy image climbing through the drive through window and then authorities have outlined his next steps. Okay. So the male forced Samantha into his vehicle. He'd already bound her with zip ties and gagged her. The man then drove to his house and Mm -hmm. hid her in a shed outside. Turned on loud music so no one could hear if she screamed. Then he returned to the coffee shack to retrieve scraps of restraints and to get her phone in order to send some fake text messages to her boyfriend. Oh my God, what... How crazy. Like, you never really hear of people going back to the crime, do you? Right. Honestly. Ugh. So, then, he drives to Samantha's house. What? After demanding to know her address to get her ATM card, which was in her boyfriend's truck. Because they shut. Yeah. Oh, my God. In a horrible, horrible, gut-wrenching twist. While stealing the debit card... This male was confronted by Samantha's boyfriend. No. Who was already on edge after discovering Cohen was not at work when he went to pick her up. That would raise alarms. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? As well as having received uh, a strange text, which is was in fact like sent by yeah. the person that kidnapped her. Uh-huh. On February the 2nd, Samantha, who was still in this unknown male shed, was raped and strangled. This monster then left her in that shed flew to Houston and embarked on a cruise, returning two weeks later. Oh my god, that's horrific. Yeah, well, buckle in, cuz. Then, he took a photo of the woman. Right. Holding a February 13th newspaper to make it appear she was alive. Fuck. Showed her eyes open. Oh my god. Oh, oh my god, that is, that is awful. Uh, he wrote, uh, this this male wrote uh, a ransom note on the back demanding $30,000 mm-hmm. be placed in her account. And he texted a me- message directing the family to a dog park where the note could be found. And her family deposited some money from a reward fund that right. set up while searching for her. Yeah, of course. On February 29th, mm-hmm. the murderer withdrew 500 in ransom money from an Anchorage ATM. Right. Duh. Yeah, right. And he used the debit card that was stolen from Cohen's boyfriend because they shared an account. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next day, 500 more was retrieved from another ATM. Then on the 7th of March, far away in Wilcox, Arizona, he withdrew 400. 
Right. So he was in Anchorage, Alaska. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's now in Arizona. Uh, he then travelled to New Mexico and took out eighty dollars. What the fuck? Two days later, a withdrawal of four hundred and eighty dollars was retrieved in Texas. So I presume that they can't, like over here, you can't draw out so much at once. Yeah. So I presume that he would do that to yeah. get more. You're what probably sat there going, "Why have the police not mm-hmm. pants on him?" It's delayed. Yes, you get a photograph. Yeah. Uh, and and a, a, a time and you know it's dates yeah. time stamped. So. Yeah, yeah. But it's delayed. Yeah, so he'd be in the next town. Him. Yeah, fuck. Um, and then the same amount on March 11th was withdrew from an ATM in Shepherd in Texas. So they just yeah they kept they mm-hmm. couldn't quite catch up with him. So by then, the authorities had a blurry ATM photo and a pattern, mm-hmm. and he was driving along uh, Route I-10 in a rented right. white Ford Focus. Like, right. honestly, you could not make yourself more, you know, driving yeah. around, using the their ATM, you know, the bank, the bank card. That Sloppy. Could, yeah. What the fuck? Exactly. So then on March 13th, nearly 3,200 miles away from Anchorage, Police in Texas pounced on this spotted uh, the white Ford Focus driving three miles an hour above the speed limit. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say at three miles an hour. I was going to say, yeah. is that even possible? No, fuck. So, so yeah, they, they quickly pounced. The car, and inside his car was an incriminating stash, uh, rolls of ru- uh, cash in rubber bands, mm. a piece of grey t-shirt cut out to make uh, a face mask. <sighs> A highlighted map with routes through California, Arizona, and New Mexico, and the stolen debit card and Samantha Cohen's phone. Incriminating, you think? Just a bit. Jesus. So, law enforcement had finally caught up with him, a man whose name was Israel Keys. So the police were really relieved to have finally caught him, mm-hmm. um, and but they just they had no idea how horrible this was about to get. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Monique Dole was the lead Anchorage police investigator in the Samantha Cohen case. Dole showed Keyes the ransom note and said, and I quote, I told him that the first couple of times that I read the ransom, I thought that whoever had wrote the note was a monster. And the more I read it, it must have been a hundred times, the more I came to understand that monsters aren't born, but are created, and that this person had a story to tell. Wow. Keyes responded, she said, and I quote, affirm, I can't help you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can't, my love. However, a few weeks later, in custody back in Alaska, he changed his mind. He told another investigator to get to uh, to get a message to Dull, uh, and he relayed a message that said, and I quote, "Tell her she's got her monster." <laughs> oh God! That just tells you what sort of person this guy is. Like arrogant, <laughs> cocky. Son of a bitch. So, more than two months after Samantha Cohen was abducted from the coffee stand where she worked, investigators announced that they had found what they believed to be Cohen's body at a lake off the Glen Highway near Wasilla. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Okay. So, Keyes is then interrogated by the police because they know he's got other victims. He'd already admitted to this when he was arrested, but he would not give up names. He was really yeah. arrogant about mm-hmm. having, like, not telling anybody. I get that. I, except, I understand. Except, 
when he remembered he had a daughter. Remembered? Who was, I think she was 10 or 11 at the time. So old enough to understand that... What was going on? Yeah, what the fuck? And a girlfriend. Right. And, And he wanted to protect them, so he used this as a bargaining chip. And he said that he would give up the names of two victims if the police returned his girlfriend's car that they had taken with a warrant to search. Um, And also keep it out of the media so it's not turned into, and I quote, any true crime bullshit. And what's really interesting and great is that there's a guy called Josh Uh who does a podcast, I can't recommend it enough if you want to go deeper into this, called True Crime Bullshit. Uh, I like it. I wonder where that name came from. Yeah, it's really, really good and it's really well researched and he does tell it really well and sensitive because this man is just... An animal. He is the most terrifying serial killer that you have never heard of. Wow. I'm I'm intrigued to know more. Okay. Just going to move on a little bit. Okay. It's about eight o'clock on April the 6th, 2012. So a couple of months now he's been in custody. Monique Dole is working on the case Mm -hmm. regarding Samantha Cohen. Another police group are interrogating him. So it was about 8 o'clock on uh, April 6th, 2012, and Lieutenant George Murty was at home in Essex, Vermont, when a local FBI agent called him. Nearly 10 months have passed since Bill and Lorraine Courier, a couple in their 50s, had disappeared. They were presumed dead. Yeah. But leads were still trickling in, and Murtel... Oh, sorry, Murty, sorry, was surprised to hear authorities in Alaska had a man in custody who'd confessed to killing uh, the couple, disposing their bodies in a abandoned farmhouse. Mm. An Essex officer for 28 years, Murty knew every inch of this community, including the location of that farmhouse. Wow. He headed out there that night with another detective, only to discover that it had been demolished. They checked some nearby buildings, but found nothing. Several weeks later... When Murty questioned Keyes by phone, he found it matter of fact when he was discussing how he'd killed the couriers. So, this is the murder of Lorraine and Bill Courier. Yeah. And this is the timeline. Okay. So on June the 2nd, 2011, so only like a year ago. Mm-hmm. From the case. From the case. Yeah. Keyes flew into Chicago, intending to kidnap and kill. He carried a gun and a silencer. And he drove more than 750 miles to Essex, uh, a bedroom community just outside, outside Burlington. So he checked into a motel he'd stayed at in 2009. He buried weapons and supplies in that area uh, and then began scouting a house that suited his purposes. So this was his rules. No children or dogs, no car on the driveway, a place that would be reasonably sure where, there was a, where he could locate a bedroom. Yeah. Uh, in the early moments of June the 9th, Keyes cut the phone lines and removed a window fan to enter the garage of Bill and Lorraine Courier. Grabbing a crowbar, he smashed a window into the house, uh, wearing a headlamp to navigate the darkness, and rushed into the Courier's bedroom. He forced them into their car and bound them with zip ties. He drove a few miles to the farmhouse, where Keyes tied Bill Courier to a stool. Going back to the car, he saw Lorraine Courier had broken her restraints, Wow. And was running towards the road. She was naked. Fuck. By this point. Um, That's awful. She was moments away from the road, and but Keys chased her, tackled her, and forced her back to the building. 
So Bill Carrier had somehow broken the stool and was shouting, where's my wife? Uh, Keys hit him with a shovel and then shot him. God. Uh, he then went on to sexually assault and strangle Lorraine Carrier and he put both bodies in garbage bags. I hate, I hate any murder or any pain inflicted on other people, but to put somebody in a bin bag is almost like you're trash. Like, Not only did he put them in a bin bag, right? Mm-hmm. He it was down in a basement of this this farmhouse. Yeah, yeah. So they were down in the basement, and there was loads of um, sort of unused shelves, to, just rubbish, really. Mm-hmm. Stuff that people store away for ages. Yeah. And to conceal the bodies, he just chucked all this stuff on it. Fuck. So when that farmhouse was mm-hmm. demolished by coincidence. Their bodies were probably yeah demolished as well to the dump. Mm-hmm. Um, they did look, but they have never been found. Their bodies have never ever been found. Jesus Christ! So he then drove into New York State and dumped the courier's stolen gun and parts of the weapon he'd used into a reservoir in Parrishville, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and F- the FBI d- uh, dive teams recovered both of those things. They did. Yes. Awesome. That's good. So, and like I said, the authorities were never able to find the courier's bodies. Can you just repeat what state they were in? When? Um, what state they lived in, sorry. Who? What Lorraine they? and Bill. Um, they lived in Essex, Vermont. Vermont, which would be... Near. Not, not that close to New York, though. So he'd obviously thoroughly planned out that if he was going to you know, discard of the phone and the rest of the belongings that he used to murder them. He'd obviously figured out that if he drove far far enough away, nobody would be suspicious. What a clever guy. He went around the whole country burying kill kits. Wow. I was just going to say, when you said about the burying items to kill people, I I almost thought like that's almost like a kill box, that you're burying something come yeah. back did he come back to them each time he planned to put it there so that in a couple of months or a year later he'd come back and find where they were yeah so israel he didn't uh, sort of stalk out victims he okay. just come to him and he says that yeah he was very patient mm-hmm. uh meticulous because then there was no incriminating evidence mm-hmm. on him they were buried around the country yeah and he might go fishing and then be like oh there's a couple over there yeah just sort of fate in a way if you come across him it's it was, fatal yeah yeah absolutely so then we go back to um monique doll uh, she says and i quote think about your loved ones uh wouldn't you want them to know if they were never coming home uh keith smelled this over and returned another day with his answer and he said and i quote i'd rather think my loved ones were on a beach somewhere he said other than being horribly murdered <laughs> It was said that he just blended in really easily. Um, he was very intelligent. He was adaptable. And he had tell. a lot of self-control. Mm-hmm. These three things combined made him really hard to catch. Yeah, for sure. So he was meticulous, methodical. He would fly to airports. Uh, if they need rent cars, he'd drive hundreds of, uh, of miles searching for victims, prowling remote spots such as parks, campgrounds, cemeteries. The Cohen case was an exception, mm-hmm. and it was in his community. Yeah. And is in, that the the last one? Yeah. In Samantha's case. Yeah. It was. He was really sloppy and messy. And messy, mm-hmm. and it was almost like he got impatient. Yeah, 
that when you said you know i do know a little bit i, I all i know is about the samantha cohen case that's okay. the only part i know about him and when you said he you know it was on cctv he went to the house like if you were that methodical and meticulous you wouldn't take yourself straight in the middle of the crime i yeah. think he got bored yeah at this point he'd been so if you just um or as i said that keys were 20 to 30 homes across the united states because you're thinking okay he doesn't want to leave a trail so how is he living yeah because you could trace him through his bank card but he robbed several banks between 2001 and 2005 and he may be linked to as many as 11 deaths in the united states oh, jesus that we and know of there might even be more victims yeah so in 40 hours of interviews over those eight months keys talked of many killings and authorities believe that there was nearly a dozen wow um, he travelled from Vermont to Alaska hunting for victims and he said he buried murder kits around the county so they would be ready um, accessible. So they would contain things like guns, zip ties and other supplies used to dispose of bodies and sometimes cash. Wow. Um, and two were found, one in Alaska and one in New York. They mm -hmm. haven't retrieved any more as far as I know. Yeah, so th those may be two states that weren't... They didn't have victims of Israelis. But this guy was like two different people for like mm. 14 years wow. or however long because he was like an everyday citizen. Mm -hmm. um, he was a father. He was a living boyfriend. He was a respected handyman, had no trouble finding like jobs. Yeah. He'd opened a um, garage okay. uh, yeah. in Anchorage. Uh, he visited family. He enjoyed fishing. Mm -hmm. Like an alter ego. No. And nothing extraordinary, nothing. Uh, the, a lawyer actually hired him for some handyman work and said, I didn't get any, like, creepy feelings about him. You know how sometimes you just... Yeah. Creeper, you just you, you just look know. at them and you're like, mm, yeah, leave. Yeah, you feel it, can't you? Yeah, no, you can, definitely. So he had none of that. <laughs> In one interview, Key said that, back when I was smart, I would let them come to me. It's not so much to choose from, mm -hmm. but there's also no witnesses. Just disgust him uh, and he was really proud that he'd gone undetected for so long uh, when he was asked for a motive Anchorage police officer Bell recalls Key said and I quote a lot of people ask why and I'd be like why not <laughs> such an actual ass like, what? what what the actual fuck like can you be any more like I think he's like a sociopath and a psychopath he's just two completely different people it's in, it's so scary mm -hmm. to know that this guy was going around burying yeah. murder kits to you know maybe use them mm -hmm. if he feels like it and the FBI has said that you know this was one of those like profound cases where there was no like MO yeah because he would just make it so that there was no paper trail yeah you know, he flew to, to places. Then he would drive miles yeah. in a rented car. Yeah, it, there was no track of him going from, like, New York to Florida. So they couldn't connect murders. No. So it was like, you know, it wasn't one, like happened one here. state yeah. where there was a serial killer. And that's what, I, you know, he was so methodical. That's why I think he was able to go on for so long. Such a, ma a criminal mastermind. And apparently his girlfriend was so shocked that <laughs> she couldn't believe it. I struggle with that. I find that really hard. Like, how do you not know I the know. person that you're, you're with? I mean... It's in, it absolutely. It's the same with the Joseph Fritzel case. Um, the one, the old man that yeah. um, kidnapped his daughter and put her downstairs. How did the mum not know about that? I know. I 
I don't not believe it. I just right. find it really hard to yeah, believe. Yeah, it's hard to be in those shoes. Yeah. Because if you, you've never been in them before, how, how do you know? Because you, no. you want to believe that you know who you're with and who you're, yeah. you're living with. But you don't. You never really know anyone, do you? No, exactly. So while being held in a, a jail at the Anchorage Correctional Complex on suspicion of murder, Keyes died by suicide. <laughs> Fucking coward. On December the second, two thousand and twelve, uh, self-inflicted wrist cut and strangulation. <sighs> a really weird suicide note found under his body consisted to to um, an ode to murder, but offered no clues about other possible victims. He didn't leave anything no. behind. Such a coward. I think he enjoyed it. <sighs> I think he liked having the the, the, it the power. Yeah. It was all about control and power. And it's like he just murdered for a hobby. It's it's just, I just don't understand. I don't understand. Ugh. And like with the couriers, like taking them to that farmhouse that he'd staked out two years yeah. before. What the fuck? And like he must have had a lot of time on his hands, surely. How, how did fuck? he get all of that in? I know, right? Being a, being a dad, being a, a boyfriend. Having a business, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <sighs> visiting family. I don't even um, have time to bloody wash my hair half the time, let alone no. do shit like that. He said that, um, I watched a, a YouTube clip of one of his interviews and Keyes actually said that after he killed the couriers, mm-hmm. he went to visit his brother or his brothers who were doing some sort of like labouring work and or on their farm and he was like, I just, I, like, I just slept. <laughs> And slept and slept and slept because I and I was just pumping. He's talking. He talks about it like it's a hobby. Yeah, it's like just, he's knitting or something. Yeah, it's horrendous. And I just and I really really feel for Samantha Curry's family and the Curry's because yeah. he was never brought to justice. That's what I mean. He's such a coward. Like going around committing all these awful murders and then just thinking, oh well, my job's done. I'm just gonna kill myself. It's just yeah. And he you know fully admitted to everything. Once he was caught, and just honestly, I'll put some links to like some clips, or maybe I can yeah. put one on, on Instagram because the way he talks is just spine chilling. Yeah, I just find him. He I laughs he, quite a lot, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yes, he, la- he laughs oh. quite a lot, and it's really like inappropriate. Yeah. Like I say, it's like he's having a normal conversation yeah. with you. There's no remorse there. There's no. There's nothing. And he tries to like. He does this thing where he says instead of like. I killed them. He says, like when I took them, or when I was thinking about taking someone, and it's almost like this horrible validation of, mm-hmm. or, or like a, a word to a cutesy word, yeah, to cutesy it up, yeah, uh, to make almost make himself feel better. That's my interpretation of yeah. it anyway. But there is a lot out there on Israel keys now, yeah. Um, and if you want to get into it deeper, there is, like I said, that podcast is absolutely. Brilliant. Shout out to them for yeah, sure. Definitely. Go and yeah, listen to them. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I really needed to tell like their story because yeah. there are so many, you know, victims in this and ones that will never know. You know, this they, they said, the FBI said he might be dead, but the cases certainly are not. Yeah. And they're going to carry on trying to, you know, connect the dots as best they can. Yeah. To give. It's such a hard situation. He's got, if he's got sort of like a dozen more victims, that's a dozen families. Mm-hmm. Think about these these people. I know it's heartbreaking. It's awful. I, I. But it just goes to show, like fourteen years of like being, 
you know, a serial killer and living a normal life. And being a bank robber and burglarising houses. How the fuck can you get away with bank robbery that many times? Like, I think, my own interpretation, that robbing a bank might must be one of the hardest crimes. Because there's so much CCTV nowadays, so many people around, so, so many people working in banks. Yeah. And he managed to do it how many god freaking times? Yeah. Oh, it just baffles me. So that is the case of Israel Keys. Mm. Hope you uh, enjoyed my interpretation and my way of telling it. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I really did. I enjoyed getting to know Samantha and Bill and Lorraine's story. Yeah. It's good, I think, to get the victim story out there because, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, we glorify and glamorise serial killers so much, but really, they're people. How many victims did Ed Kemper have? Uh, 12 so Israelis had the same amount but we know way more about Kemper yeah like why is this name and the FBI kept it quiet yeah because he asked them to so that it didn't end up in true crime bullshit yeah Uh, (laughs) but it was to get information out of him Mm -hmm. and I think because it has almost been and gone yeah it wasn't publicised like Kemper Bundy Bundy yeah Dharma and all of that but yeah they're just as they're just as horrific as Kemper and Ted Bundy. I don't think you can... Any crime isn't light, is it? It's not... It's not. And I know we often say, you know, that's a heavy one. We mm-hmm. often say that. But some, I think, just hit more than others. Yeah, definitely. And I know how much passion you have behind this case and yeah. getting their stories told. Definitely. Because it's just... He's just a criminal mastermind at the end of the day. Yeah. He really is. And he liked it. Yeah. He liked it, but he, he had his ego is massive about it. Yeah, like for example, Dennis Nielsen used to say that he would cry after he hurt his victims. Yeah, but Israelis just wasn't like that. No. He, I think, he really took pride in it. I feel like. Yeah, he was really proud of himself as well. Yeah. That he didn't get caught for so long. Yeah, I know. That's just. And like I say, there are lots of other details that you can look into. I didn't. I feel the need to go too deeply into what he, uh, the type of murders that he committed, because, I mean what I told you was bad enough. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, you can read between the lines or you can go and uh, look, look it up. But he was a nasty piece of work. Mm-hmm. That An absolute shitbag. Yeah. To put it nicely. Who the fuck goes on a... Like, leaves... What leaves a body in their shed? It just... It's still now. I'll think about it and I'll just be like... How? How? What? Why? Yeah. And why? Yeah. And when he's just like, well, why not? Such a cocky, arrogant son of a bitch. I'd love to like be in the mind of somebody like that. Like, what? Yeah. What makes you tick? What is it that? Yeah, just has motivated you to do this. I can't comprehend it. I, because of course, me nor you have ever had those feelings ever. I I also think it's really important to mention that the other really innocent victim in this is his daughter. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know. It's still her dad. Yeah. He was still her dad. And for all she knew, he was the best daddy in the world. Because he he was living two different lives. Yeah. Yeah. It was said that he had a really good relationship with her. Yeah. And, you know, completely normal, good relationship with his his girlfriend. And the weirdest thing is he probably would never, if if he didn't kill himself, he would probably never go on to touch them inappropriately or hurt them. It just... It's just like a side hobby, like you said. Awful. Absolutely awful. Thanks for telling that case. That was super interesting. Thank you. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad I got to tell it. Yeah. So, so okay. Wow. Mm, that's both cases. 
another one done. I know. After uh, all the tech issues, yeah. <laughs> all the electric and gas, and it's yeah. actually uh, this Sunday, isn't it? That we're yeah. we're launching. So mm-hmm. it's Sunday the nineteenth. Nineteenth. Yeah. yeah. So when you hear this, it will probably be sometime in February or end of January, maybe. Uh, yeah, end of January. I don't know about you, Meeks, but I'm really enjoying uh, looking into cases. Yeah, more um, deeper and delving more into them. Definitely, and uh, we had a request. We did, we? we did. Um, from Queen Chu. Yeah, on Instagram. Local, yeah, on Instagram about a local case. I'm not going to say what it is mm-hmm. now because I'll save it until yeah. next time. Yeah. And But I'm really looking forward to that. So, and yeah. re- thank you, Queen Chu. Thank you so much, Charlie, for your request. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, keep and, them coming in. Yeah, keep them coming in. Also, um, I'm not going to give out a topic because I just want to hear all of it. But, yeah. Um, what's our email address again, Mix? Contact at planetcrimepodcast.com contact at planet crime crime podcast.com podcast. that is a mouth. yeah right. i know right I'm trying to type it's worse you can be anonymous yeah. you can be you can shout your name from the rooftops but any weird stories that you want us to like retell yeah or it could be unsolved unexplained yeah, it could or be something's happened to you conspiracy yeah or just a creepypasta something that you've written out that yeah. you know something fiction that you've written and okay, you creepypasta right <laughs> what, what the fuck is that about? Know what that is. Mm-hmm. I still don't really understand what creepypasta okay, is. Okay, let me talk you through it. So, okay, a creepypasta is a fictional story mm-hmm. that somebody's written, a creative writer or a poet or whatever, mm-hmm. has written, but it's like super creepy. Like Smiley Man. What's he called? Dancing Man. Yeah. Oh, that's a creepypasta. Oh my god, that's so scary. There's a gif on it and everything. I can't <laughs> believe you text me while I was walking home, pitch black. You're like, oh, <laughs> careful of the dancing man. I'm like, Lauren, fuck right off. <laughs> so that's basically a creepypasta. Okay. Don't why know, is it called creepypasta? <laughs> I don't know. Why isn't it called creepy chocolate? But oh, yeah. that's apparently what, what it's isn't named. Why is it just called weird stories? Like, well, who, yeah. who named it creepypasta? Okay, I need to go and like investigate that in a minute. Yeah, but anything that you've written up or anything that you would... Yeah, I'd be interested to read that. Yeah. yeah. I'm, think... I'm really like interested to hear like stories close to you. Yeah. Something that might you might like has happened in your family. Yeah, or hometown. Any... Or... Yeah. yeah. As long as you feel okay with us telling your story, exactly. of course, let yeah. us know. So, okay. Okay. Until, Until next time.